Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 168th video cast, 158th podcast for the week ending January 5th, 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. We've got a lot to go through, so let's get to it. First, with the media, I want to thank Ankika Biswas, Subham Batra, Bansari Kamdar, and Meyer Kamdar for including me in their article on Reuters today. This was about the jobs print. You know, the markets were up and then uh, the good jobs numbers came in and the market sold off. I said the market wants to see more unemployment to get the Fed to stop hiking. And the report today was actually good from an economic standpoint, but bad from getting the Fed to stop. The, quote, this is going to be a knee-jerk reaction to stronger than expected economic data. But as the weeks roll on, reality will set in and more of these layoff announcements meaning uh, we saw 18,000 jobs from Amazon overnight cut, uh, another, I believe, 8,000 from Salesforce, 10, 10% of their um, uh, employment base was cut yesterday. Uh, more and more of these announcements are going to be forthcoming, and we'll cover that as we get further into the podcast. I uh, also want to thank Manya Siani and Niket Nishant for including me in their article on Reuters today as well. Um uh, and finally, want to thank Anuran Mitra for including me in his article on Seeking Alpha on Friday. Quotes of the week I wanted to cover first from Charlie Munger, one of my heroes. Uh, a lot of people with high IQs are terrible investors because they've got terrible temperaments. And we see this over and over and over. For those of you who've been with me for a while, that's what we aim to do is get you away from the noise and the emotion and focus on the facts and the data uh, so you can make your decisions from there. Uh, Buffett, no matter how great the talent or efforts, some things just take time. You can't produce a baby in one month by getting nine people pregnant. Well, that's Warren Buffett for you. And I think that's perfectly timely for what's been happening with our two of our top three positions, Alibaba and Cooper Standard, in the last few weeks. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, when it's not working, it's not. And then all of a sudden, everything works at once. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, similar to Seneca, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And um, uh, and and you can see it here. Here's uh, Cooper Standard. Literally in the last two weeks, the stock is up almost 80 percent eight zero uh that's huge uh when you got you know 13 percent of your capital that goes up 8x uh you know or well excuse me not 8x uh 80 percent is a big deal uh but it's not just that the volume is up um it's that the volume is huge this is institutional buying starting to come in above average volume on every basically every single day uh so that's strong and that bodes well into the conclusion of their uh, financing that's uh, fully backstopped. Uh, and then we can get focused on the fundamentals as we take the next leg higher. So, uh, you know, it's nice to see this happen, but it really doesn't matter in the scheme of the three-year outlook and how we see this business and the operating leverage playing through. The key is they got that, you know, uh, they took their liquidity risk off the table. They got the extra three years. So it gives us enough time for that operating leverage to kick in. And as we get to nor back to normalized volumes, it may take a year, it may take three years, uh, this business can earn like it's going out of style. And now that their composition is becoming more and more EVs, the margins are even higher. So maybe it could even do more than $7, $7.20 that it did at, at its peak uh, industry volume in 2017. So we'll take it as it comes, but it's a move in the right direction. Very nice to see that off of uh, below 550 basis. 
So that's pretty exciting. Uh, Baba is up now, uh, just about 80%. One of the few things that both of these are one of the few things up in the market today, uh, up about 80% since the October lows. Very excited to see that. Uh, and I want to just put things in perspective because there's a tremendous amount of gloom and doom in the U.S. markets. But if you actually look around the world, and we've been pounding the table on this, that emerging markets and international would outperform moving forward, and everyone looked at us sideways in October, um, uh, and, uh, and, and just look compared to the U.S., uh, you know, Africa bottomed in, in, uh, in October. Uh, but some of these markets, Argentina is near, near highs. I mean, near 52 week highs. It's unbelievable. Uh, uh, A shares China is now break, breaking, getting uh, above that 200 day moving average. Um, here's the Dow is also way up like the rest of the world. Um, you know, close to highs. It's higher than levels in 2021. Uh, you only had this peak in early 2022 where it was higher. So, uh, you know, people are so pessimistic. They're just, you know, basically in the wrong stocks is really what it comes down to. I think, you know, everyone was in those FANG stocks and that got smoked and now they're all selling in the hole and we're getting interested in some of them. Like, like Amazon in particular, uh, I think as you look two or three years out is very, very attractive. So, uh, here is, that's Japan. That's hedged equity. So that's not a good tell. Uh, Chile, uh, is near its, uh, 52 week highs. Uh, Egypt is breaking, you know, double bottom breaking out. This is not what you see at bottoms of global markets, a double bottom breakout above the 200 day. Now, I, I'm not, you know me long enough. I'm not, you know, technical guy, uh, as much as I'm a fundamental guy, but some of these things you don't need, a, you know, a magnifying glass to see. I mean, it's, it's clear as day. Same thing with China. Now, no, this is Ireland, okay? It was in this downtrend. It broke out above its 200, and now it's following through. And everyone's playing like the world is ending. So Israel is looking like the U.S. because it's kind of tech-based. And that looks like the NASDAQ, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's what everyone's pessimistic about because everyone was crowded into those trades. The five stocks that made up 30%, you know, 28% of the S&P 500 weight uh have gotten hit and all these people that were in there you know set and forget indexing got smoked philippines again same thing the bottom is in it's now breaking out above that 200 day this is not what you see at, at bottoms this was to take everyone's stops out in october get them to sell in the hole in panic get the media frenzy worked up and, and we're going to go into an interview that i was on just at that time and uh, he said, what are you staying away from? I said, I'm staying away from pessimists. And, you know, he laughed. But you definitely want to review that because it's it's it looks obvious in retrospect. It's very, very hard to step out on a limb when when the whole world is against you. And then all of a sudden, boom, all these stocks are up 80 percent off the lows. So um, here we go with. And, and by the way. Just getting started that like that, that's like. Uh, you know, token for entry, like we, the game hasn't even begun. Like we're, we're just back to a level, like, you know, the patients that come off the uh, IV, but he's still got to stay in the hospital for another few weeks. Then he's going to get out of the hospital. He's going to start rehab. Then he's going to start rehab. Then he's going to be, you know, running again. Then when he's running again, he's going to start breaking records again. And the same is going to be true with Alibaba and some of the other stocks that we've been pounding the table on when everyone was forced selling in the hole. Um, Peru. Okay. Same thing. This is double bottom breakout. This is not what happens at lows, folks. This is what happens 
as you push to new highs and 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 people just can't see it because all they can see is the fang that they all crowded into like a bunch of lemmings at the exact wrong time and got the stuffing taken out of them this year um here is uh, australia same thing double bottom breakout back test you know this, this is not what i do by the way but uh you know it's kind of funny i'm gonna like play this tape and be like who the hell was given the podcast this week um Actually, I, I never re-listen to my own podcast, to be honest with you, uh, or edit them. So, you you know, you get what you get and uh, and you don't get upset, as my uh, daughter's kindergarten teacher used to say. Uh, Australia, same thing, you know, and people are playing like the world is ending here. Uh, Canada, even Canada, the Canadians are kicking our butt when you look at the uh, when you look at the Nasdaq. Uh, Germany, same thing. You know, people can be more pessimistic. But look at Germany. Put this thing, washed everyone out in October, ran it back up, and now it's breaking up above that. Everything's turning up. Your quote, golden cross. Woo! Everyone's excited, but they missed, you know, the, the 40% move uh, when they didn't want to buy in October. Now they'll all buy here, maybe get shaken out one more time just to really piss everyone off. Uh, and then run w without them and when no when when everyone least expects it and we went through this a couple of weeks ago i think half of you thought i was crazy and here it is playing out um here is hong kong best start to the year in four years since 2018 i mean this thing has just been straight up since that interview uh what is this hong kong again this is italy even italy double bottom i mean guys this is this is it but in the u.s everyone's depressed because of these five stocks and um and by the way you know now that everyone's depressed is actually when you should start looking at some of them i'm not i don't i'm not sure about microsoft and apple their still valuations are still high I'd, i probably like apple more than microsoft but uh amazon for me is kind of a no-brainer the business has tripled uh, in the last four years, and you can buy it at the same price. You don't have to think a lot about that. Jassy, as you can see, is now cutting costs like crazy. Eighteen thousand. He'll probably do more than that. That thing should be a double uh, over three to five years, if not sooner. It's not the best use of capital. We've got things that are going to do much better than that, which is why it would never be a major position for us at all. But uh, it is a you know high quality company that's on sale. Uh, what else we got here? Switzerland. I'm just trying to reemphasize the point here, guys. The rest of the world has no reason to be depressed. They're all back up above their 200-day moving averages. They're all break, consolidating, breaking out again. And the rest of the world has got, you know, not the rest of the world. The U.S. has got their hands in their knees. And this goes back to what I covered last week about how the world works in cycles where U.S. outperforms for three or four years or five years or even 10 years. And then emerging markets dramatically outperforms. We are in that new cycle, guys, and you can see it in these charts. And that's why we're positioned. And that's why no matter how much we were pounding the table, no matter how great the talent or the efforts, and we did a ton of work, we knew certainly this was going to be the, the case. Some things just take time. And no matter how much all the evidence pointed to being right, it just took a few more months and you just have to hang on. Sometimes you can't produce a baby in one month, uh, you know, by, by, by making nine women pregnant. You got to wait the full nine months, as, as Buffett says. And, uh, and then what looks lucky now and what, what continue to look lucky over the next two to three years, uh, is when all that preparation that was done last year and all the seeds planted last year and buying in the hole when people were puking out to $58. Our last purchase was at $61 on Alibaba. We increased this position size by 10%. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. 2% equity capital, 10% total. Uh, 10, 2%. 
20 to 22%. There, simple language. You can't do percents of percents. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, this is, this is how the game is played, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, France. Okay. I guess some of these are dupes. I'm Singapore. Okay. Taiwan. Taiwan is starting to come back, even though everyone's afraid. You know, it's funny. Right down here, when everyone was worried about China bombing Taiwan, guess who was in the market buying $4 billion at Taiwan Semiconductor? Warren Buffett. Everyone else, you know, head between their legs, kissing their you-know-what goodbye, and Buffett's in there buying stock, exactly when we were on with Will. Uh, Even the United Kingdom, which people are so pessimistic on. Sunak came in. I think he's going to be a great prime minister. He seems to be taking all the right steps. And these things are rocking. There, there's opportunity in the UK. Uh, we've talked about one or two of the stocks uh, in passing. Uh, those are reserved for my clients. But, um, you know, you definitely want to start to pay attention to opportunities in the UK. And um, Mexico, look at this, taking off, reshoring. Almost at new all-time highs. That's mind-boggling. Mexico, near new time highs, while the US, everyone's depressed. This is, this is mind-boggling. Uh, South Korea. So South Korea is struggling with this 200 day. It's going to get above there. That's going to be that global demand, um, uh, indicator that comes back. And then all the, uh, 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 money center bank strategists are going to get all excited. Brazil, uh, you know, you got Lula in. It sold off yesterday. We've had Lula before. It's not the best outcome, but they'll figure it out. Um, we don't have much exposure to, Brazil, I think a little bit with uh, Stone Co, but um, it's you know it's tiny. We China, China, China. That's that's what we okay. Uh, uh, Euro stocks as a whole, these things are flying up twenty. These are up thirty something percent in the last month and a half. Not eighty percent like China, but thirty something percent. Uh, FXI, we covered that. Even Greece is getting near to all-time highs. Greece of all places. Um, remember them from the uh, P, P, PIGS and uh, the Euro debt crisis in 2011, which, by the way, the market action reminds me a lot of right now, particularly in the NASDAQ. Indonesia. Indonesia sold off a lot. I'm going on Indonesia at like 4 in the morning tomorrow, so I'll figure out why uh, Indonesia is not working as well as the rest of the markets. I think part of it is, uh, candidly, they came out with these social regulations, like if you sleep with someone in a hotel, you get arrested or something. And like, you know, Western money doesn't like that. You know, when you get these ideologues, it's like, okay, if you're going to get in trouble, get in trouble with your church. But when you start getting in trouble with the state for moral stuff, uh, it's just a a way to uh, scare foreign capital out. And I think that's what may, may, may be happening in Indonesia. But I'll, I'll look into that more carefully before I go on tomorrow. CNBC Indonesia. Um, India is underperforming. They, they kind of had their run. Um, I, you know, they're a secular growth story. But I, I said as we went through all the countries and the demographics, for me, I want to be aggressively adding India at the end of this decade. Right now, I want to be adding. When I'm getting out of China, I'll be getting back into, I'll be getting into India uh, that's not to say on a discrete basis, company by company, I wouldn't be adding because I like emerging markets generally. But the bargain right now is in China. And that's probably hurting Indonesia as well um, in the short term. Now, look at the rest of the world. Now, look at the U.S. Here's small caps. We're putting the double bottom in, but we haven't done that follow through like the rest of the world has had. And I think there's going to be a huge opportunity in small caps. 
Um, that's K-Web. Where's the rest of them? Here's the NASDAQ, okay? So the rest of the world is rocking and rolling. The only two things that aren't working are the NASDAQ in the U.S., which is making this double bottom here. And I got everyone pinging me. Oh, my God, we're going to make new lows. We're, we're inches away from new lows. Okay, so if we make new lows, we make new lows. I'd love to make new lows just so we can wipe out all the scared chickens, bang out all their stops, get them to puke in the holes so we can buy more Amazon and more high-quality businesses that are on, on sale and uh, and hold them, just like we did with Baba. And those things will have their 80% runs probably a year from now uh, after uh, the blood is all cleaned all, off the streets. Uh, but, you know, Israel and, and NASDAQ, and these things will follow sooner or later. Uh, S&P, again, if you look on a global basis, why? Because of the weights of those five stocks are weighing them down. Uh, then you look at Turkey, which we talked about last year. That was a double. That was a tiny, tiny, uh, tiny, tiny exposure. Then you got um, Euro. You've got Europe. I think we covered them all here. Vietnam. Vietnam may be worth a look. This is interesting. That hasn't recovered yet. Um, that is interesting. I got to write that down. And by the way, that's how you get away from the noise. You go and you go through over and over and over and you find opportunities like this. Um, let me write that down. Take a closer look at Vietnam and see if I can find some companies that make sense. Uh, all right, moving along. Okay, thanks to JT Investor who sent this along. This is uh, some uh, China research that was published today from MRB Partners, Macro Research Board. So uh, do business with them if you're an institution. Um, all right. So stock rally is still in early stages. We agree. This is the average newly built home prices inverted. So they're just bottoming here. You can see this is the CSI 300. This is the... 12-month uh, forward earnings for MSCI China versus the MSCI China. You can see that earnings are, have bottomed. We showed you the Alibaba earnings estimate chart last week. Uh, and uh, now we see this. By the way, go to hedgefundtips.com. You can find, uh, first off, click on terms. This is opinion, not investment advice. Uh, and also you can see all of our previous podcasts here under categories, under videocast or podcast. So... Um, where are we here? Okay. So the earnings are doing it. And it did the exact same thing back here before that monster run in 2020 where Alibaba peaked at $319 is earnings turn, the market turn. So you get the market turn, you get the earnings turn, and then it just goes straight up. Uh, so we're excited about that. Then you got um, new monthly purchases of equities. So you are seeing inflows stock connect inflows and uh is in green and etf inflows is in uh the dotted brown so that's positive to see and what's leading is consumer discretionary leads the earnings rebound that's alibaba ladies and gentlemen so we're excited about that next we've got um what is here uh repo operations foreign holdings of government bonds we'll skip that um, yuan bonds are starting to outperform. That's a key sign to health in the market. Uh, currency tailwind, softer dollar, much stronger yuan. That was our entire thesis was predicated on the dollar weakening. It sold off 10% in the last couple months and Alibaba's up 80%. What else do you want to know? And it's funny because I put that out on the day 
that everyone was panicking and puking in the hole. And we said, we're stepping in and we're going to increase our position by 10%. Uh, we, we didn't get $58. We got $61. Uh, and we put an 18 point post on Twitter, which we also made an article out of. So by the way, you can find all of our past articles week by week, uh, here under the categories commentary. Uh, and it's all there and you can find that whatever, just look for the bottom and then find the week and you'll see the 18 points. And the big thing was, this is not, this is currency. It's going to roll over. Look at the commitments of traders. We're buying more and boom, we were off to the races almost to the, you know, days is basically what it came down to finally. Um, you know, the key is in, in this business, if you want to be great is Number one, you got to do your work because there's no way you can have conviction if you don't do your work. Otherwise, you're just a moron uh, and you're going to lose a lot of money. But once you've done your work and you're buying high quality businesses, when life serves you lemons, most people, you know, spit the lemon out and, and they miss the opportunity of a lifetime. We consistently and systematically traded out pawns for queens, meaning we would look at what was in our portfolio that couldn't be a three or four or five bagger that we could sell out and buy more Alibaba when the market was acting absolutely irrational and absolutely crazy on every single COVID headline and G headline and complete nonsense and BS and noise that had nothing to do with the underlying quality of the business and the moat and the 38% share of AWS and the one-third ownership of Ant Financial. And we kept saying it over and over and the stock price kept doing what it was doing and everyone would be crying and raising their arms and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know what my clients were doing? They weren't crying and raising their arms. They were calling me up and asking, did you buy more? Did you buy more? Cause, and that's why I choose who I work with, the types of partners that I work with who are exceptionally wealthy, because they got wealthy not by puking out the lemon, but by making lemonade. So when they, you know, whether they've made their money in real estate, whether they've made their money in rolling up companies, whether they've made their money in anything, the common denominator is very simple. They've all, they all in one way or another bought quality when it was on sale when no one else wanted it and sold it when everyone wanted it and just over and over across industries across wealth you just see it over and over there are your exceptions where people invent something and get rich that way but by and large it's it's uh you know it's it, it's this same mindset that creates real wealth over time ignoring the crowd doing your homework and that's when you can step in uh, and, and, you know, it's not stepping into stocks that are earning no money just because they got 10 points cheaper because they're still crap stocks earning no money. So that's what people miss. And that's why people get burned and, and, uh, uh, and, um, uh, you know, have to learn. And most of them never, never actually, uh, you know, make it, make it back. As a matter of fact, there's an article. Here we go. This is it right here. Rookie traders are calling it quits and their families are thrilled. Many who picked up investing during the pandemic are cooling on the hobby. And this is the sign of the bottom, ladies and gentlemen. This is the stuff that you see at the bottom. They're all toast. All of these guys are absolute toast because they all wanted to do this. Look at lines on a screen and think that they had an edge above Citadel, who's got trillions of dollars, uh, not trillions, but, but tens of billions of dollars with every sophisticated algo to take money out of people like this who think that they have some edge because they, you know, read a book, uh, you know, uh, on technical analysis and they think they know something that the rest of the market doesn't know. And they're absolutely fooling themselves. And sooner or later it catches up. 
And, you know, the people who make money over time, the big money, are generally optimistic and generally value investors. I mean, you know, there, there are many ways to skin the cat. The macro guys made more money than God this year, you know, five of them uh, out of the entire world. And that model is very, very simple. You underperform for 10 years waiting for the world to end because they're all bond traders. They're basically all negative bond traders uh, and uh, and they just underperform for eight or nine years. And then if they make it to the 10th year without getting redemptions in the nine years, they have a triple digit year. And then their annuals realized rate of return when you add, you know, three, you know, net 3% for 10 years and then 100%, it looks like it's 11% over 10 years on average. It's smoothed. Uh, and, uh, which, you know, relative to the S and P is nine. And then you take out their fees and it's like 9.4 and people are like, wow, you know, they did well when the market went down. So we'll, we'll give them money. Um, um, but by and large, it's buying high quality businesses when they're on sale and everyone I've dealt with that comes to me that it's worth over a hundred million bucks. It's the same common denominator. They took advantage when something was out of favor of quality. They did it. They waited. They had patience. And that's why they're, you know, in the one one hundredth of one percent. Um, OK, uh, more on China here. Let's go through the economic surprise index. So this is where kind of where it bottoms. The exception is, uh, uh, you know, during the um, pandemic. But uh, GDP, GDP growth will recover to five percent this year. We're in that camp. They set the targets. Now they've got the country open. It can actually happen. Uh, you see the services and all these things bottomed out in December before they finally blinked. Um, and by the way, if you think politicians don't blink, I mean, right now, Powell is exactly what G was in December. He'll never come out of COVID zero, blah, blah, blah. And then sooner or later, the pressure becomes so acute that they have absolutely zero choice but to blink. And we're going to cover that in one of the articles, what made G blink. And it just goes to show, and I talked about it throughout the year, you know, the 100 families, blah, blah, blah. If you don't change, they're going to change you. And sure enough, uh, the, the riots happened and, you know, he had no choice. Um, okay, so there's a lot of good information in this report. And you just see uh, the credit Bloomberg credit impulse. So, again, it's turning up just like in 2018 to that 2018 to 21 run. Now we're seeing the credit impulse. We've been talking about all the stimulus. We didn't see it in price. Now we're seeing it in price. This is a big deal. You just watch credit. I mean, that's that's the whole entire story. M2 money supply. Look at this. While ours is at the worst year on year, look at what's happening in China. The M2 money supply growth year on year is bigger than it even was in 2020 uh, when the market was rallying. So uh, and total uh, Chinese yuan deposits percent year on year. So this is fodder for an enormous fire in a good way, a blaze of action that's going to be happening. Even look at retail sales. Online retail sales have been going up. Okay, this whole period, they, they went off a little bit. Uh, auto sales peaked over the summer sideways. They'll go back up now. Then you've got online retail sales really ran back up into November, probably a little bit in early December and, you know, with COVID. But th these are going to make new highs again. Uh, and that's, that's what we do. We burden ourselves with data, not emotion, not headlines, but actual data and what's taking place. Uh, epic dollar gal. Okay. So here, here's, here was the whole thesis last year. We showed you the commitments of traders part. We said the dollar was going to roll over. We said it was the most crowded trade. We showed you the bank of America data. Everyone kept saying dollar higher, 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 a little bit early, but you stay patient when you know what you're doing. 
you stay patient, you increase the position into the opportunity that the market serves up. Uh, now, sentiment has changed. Epic dollar rally goes into reverse and investors expect further declines, which means we probably get a counter trend rally <laughs> in the short term. So these guys are flushed out. They're, they're kind of the last batch, the ARCs and the, um, and the, uh, uh, the day traders here. Uh, this is what you see down at bottoms. You know, I almost, and, and so that's that. And then, um, this, this is just random, but Mark Cuban put this out on the habit all 30-somethings need to succeed. All any-somethings need to succeed. Without it, you're not expanding your mind. And Mark Cuban said that somebody 40 and over, even 30 over, if you're not reading, you're effed because you're not expanding your mind. I tell my kids, somebody who doesn't read lives one life. Somebody who reads uh, lives an, unnum an unlimited number of lives. I can't emphasize how important this is. And one of the big things that I do is while I'm walking on the treadmill in the morning or whatever, or running at night, uh, or even golfing, I always have, if you're doing active activities, by the way, Bose has these quiet comfort too, like they won't fall out of your ears. You could literally play football in them and get tackled and they wouldn't fall out of your ears, which is good for golf. But um, I'm always listening to a book and, um, uh, and, and in the morning I specifically read, but I'm always listening and if I'm watching TV, I try to watch biographies. And just constantly expose yourself to people that did exceptional things and strategies and it rubs off on you. And I think that's what that what Cuban is saying here. Um, you can benefit from hundreds of people's lives in a very short period of time if you do that. And one book I read uh, uh, recently is called uh, Richer, Wiser, Happier by William Green. Uh, kind of a story of a bunch of value investors. And I absolutely love it because it shows... The story, uh, one story I really liked was Monish Prabhai, uh, who's a known value investor, tried to get a job with Warren Buffett and Buffett wrote him back and he said, you know, I found over the years I just work better by myself. Uh, and he's always outsourced everything and he's had his decentralized when he was running his partnerships the first 20 years, it was out of a spare bedroom in his house. Uh, and then when he had a public company, he basically had his little office and all the businesses were outside. But Prabhai wrote him. And said, I'd love, you know, I'll work for free. And he's just like, no, thank you. I do my own work. Um, you know, uh, glad to connect with you. Glad to help you in any way I can. But because uh, the idea is and why he lives in Nebraska and same thing with Manish Prabhai in Austin, Texas, and same thing with a guy Spire in Switzerland is they want to stay away from the noise. And when you have a ton of analysts, the reason most funds have a lot of analysts is not because uh, the analysts are generally making a lot of decisions unless it's a most multi-strat fund and they all have their own books and they're trading in and out um, is because institutions feel more comfortable giving money when there's a lot of bodies in the seats. Even if one or two people are making the decisions, uh, it's like the more bodies you have, the bigger the check they'll write, which is the exact opposite thing they should be doing because uh, you have more consensus, which means you're going to get worse returns over time. Uh, and, uh, but they do it because they want the money and they all charge fees. We only charge on performance. We don't charge management fees. We keep our, uh, uh, overhead very low and we only get paid when our clients get paid, which is an unusual idea, but I copied it from Buffett because he's the best and that's what he did with his partnership. Um, so, uh, William Green really showed that kind of the best of the best, same with Nick, Nick Sleep. Uh, they all were the same thing. They, they, they did their deep work. They weren't affected by the crowds and um 
and they and they worked alone and they worked intensively. Uh, obviously, they all like like myself. You have assistance for marketing and admin and uh, spreadsheets and models and all that stuff. But the problem with having too many analysts is that their incentive is to get you to take action, and if you're paying them, your incentive is to take that action, even if it's not the very best idea, because because the meter's running. Uh, and they want to, you know, contribute, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And oftentimes the way you make the biggest money in this business is doing nothing. You know, our positions were in place. What, what would have gotten people in the wrong position in 2022 is while, uh, Alibaba wasn't working because of all these exogenous events would be to sell it and go into something that was working. That's now not working, which most people would have chased it and bought energy all the way up and got out of what was all the way, what was down. And instead, the exact opposite is happening. Now, China's up 80%, Baba's up 80%, all these things are and just starting, by the way. Same thing with Cooper Standard. We got in in May. Now it's up uh, 550 to 1050. It's almost up 100% now, so uh, in five months. So some things take, you know, uh, uh, longer than others. You know, Wells Fargo was six months, Cooper Stand and, and Exxon in 2020. Cooper Standard has been six months and it's just getting started, by the way. Baba took a little bit longer, but knowing what you're doing, knowing what you own, staying focused, keeping the noise away is, is really the key. So, um, it's a tangent, but it's a very important one. And I didn't understand why I operate in the way that I do. And I read William Green's book and I was like, oh, it's because that's what Buffett did. That's what my heroes did. That's what Munger did. Um, that's what, you know, Munger had his own partnership as well. So I just copy success. Uh, U.S. stocks will rebound 24% in 2023 as Fed tightening will no longer crush the market, says uh, Tom Lee's fund strat. Okay, so he's perennially bullish, but I think he's going to be right this year. I don't know about 24% or, or any of that stuff. I, I, I don't predict that. I think the big money is going to be made outside the U.S. But um, he says... Uh, on the one hand, people who pick stocks focus on the earnings decline. 2023 is a year where earnings are declining, but they rebound in 2024. Markets begin to look through that. That's what we've been saying. On average, stocks bottom 12 months before earnings estimates bottom. So one of the things that we've had to wonder is if this is an extended earnings contraction that isn't already discounted by a 20% decline, or it was it was actually, I think, 28% intraday peak to trough. And, and we agree with him on that. Uh, nothing incredibly new there. Um, he did make a bullish case for tech, uh, and I couldn't find the research note, but the basis was that in periods of labor shortage, which we are in now, tech starts to outperform because, you know, uh, employers, rather than paying exogenous, you know, crazy amounts of money, to get the scarce resource labor, they spend the money on technology to replace the labor, and then they keep that, which actually increases margins. So they have to spend on tech to save money because labor is so expensive, and that brings up productivity, and that kind of kind of cycles here. I've got a simpler reason why I think the earnings are going to be better than expected. Number one, uh, the dollar down 10% adds about 8 to 10% to the S&P 500, which is not priced in. Uh, and number two, no one, no one's got in their models 5% GDP growth in China. They've been shut down for two years. We've been carrying all the water for two years, and now China's gonna, rising tides are gonna lift all boats. So, 
Uh, these four chip stocks could double from here, according to Rosenblatt. I like this story because everyone's super bearish on, on semiconductors. Uh, but I like what he says at the end. Uh, he likes uh, Micron in this case for a cyclical play. He acknowledged that inventories could peak the first half of 2023, uh, adding to pressure on average selling prices in the DRAM dynamic, but a ripe second half 2023 memory market for investors. So that's part of it. And I think the auto demand is just getting started. Uh, so there's some, there's some discrete opportunities in semiconductors. I, I know someone asked a question about Intel, so we'll give an update on that. Uh, shift to EVs trigger biggest auto factory building boom in decades. These are things that pe- are not in people's models. Uh, inflation won't stop 2023 auto sales growth amid chip recovery. This was our entire thesis for um, uh, Cooper Standard. Once the chips come, it came in, the OEMs would start to produce more cars. Once they produce more cars, they got to buy the ceiling, fuel and fuel delivery system, brake fluid system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's now happening. Um, uh, and that's why we bought in May. Those chips started coming in. Uh, our channel checks were saying, showing us they were going to, you know, start to accelerate in June. They actually did. They've, they've continued to do so. Uh, so, you know, uh, here we did 13.2, 13.3. Okay, 13, I think we did 13.2 million vehicles last year. Uh, Barra is saying we're still seeing strong demand for our vehicles. Um, the net effect is that the U.S. audio industry is expected to grow by more than a million vehicles in 2023. That's about 15 million units. Um, the peak years were 16 to 17 million, but if we could come off the floor of 13, get back up to 15. That would just be like the operating leverage in that for Cooper Standard with the increased margins on EVs, the new contracts that they've negotiated at the bottom, which was brilliant of management, which is another reason why we got in Cooper Standard, which we laid out in our May notes and podcasts, uh, was because there was a high quality management that respected equity, that wanted to get paid on the basis of double digit EBITDA margins, uh, double digit return on invested capital, uh, and uh, they respected equity. They brought the share count down over the last five years, unlike most companies. So, uh, so that's that. Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel outlines three big surprises that could shape, shake up the stock market in 2023. Expect a spike in job losses. We're already seeing it. It's not going to show up in the report tomorrow, which is why the market's negative today. Uh, um, I mean, we could get a miracle tomorrow, but I wouldn't count on it. Um, although expectations should be relatively low after today. Um, but we are going to see more Amazon, Salesforce, uh, meta type announcements between now and the February meeting, which is what we need to see massive layoffs in, in regions where the constituents are getting hit. So who do you have in San Francisco? Nancy Pelosi. You think she's going to be excited? You know, Twitter laid off 75%, Salesforce 10%, uh, Amazon, uh, 18%. I don't know how much they are in San Francisco. They're more in Seattle. But all of these regions, these politicians are going to start to be livid when they're getting phone calls every single day from all these layoffs because of the Fed hiking and the pressure is going to come. Whether it comes before the Fed meeting or not, we know we're probably getting 25 basis points. The key is whether that's the final and we pause or if they are going to jam it up to 5.1. We'll we'll see and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But spike in job losses. Fed will cut interest rates dramatically. I'm not sure if I'm in his camp on this. I'm more in the 1994-1995 camp. That maybe we'll get, you know, we'll get up to, 
what are we at? 425, 450. Maybe we get to 475. Maybe we get to five if they're complete idiots. But 475. And then by the end of the year, maybe the back half, we get one cut back down to 450. And then we stay there for like three or four or five years. Um, uh, and, and just hold. And I think that would be the perfect balance. And they will go down in history as the perfect people. The alternative is they could be morons and overshoot on the upside just as they did on the downside with transitory. And then we just go into a, you know, recession, depression. Then they got to print more money to bail us out, which is more inflationary and complete, absolute, utter disaster, which is a low probability, but you consider all probabilities. Um, expect a uh, U.S. slow session rather than a recession in 2023 as the Fed will successfully control inflation, Moody's Analytics says. This is Mark Zandi. Uh, I thought this was very interesting. Our baseline holds that the Fed will be able to accomplish this without precipitating a recession. That is, we'll be able to raise rates high enough uh, to sufficiently quell the wage and price pressures, but not so high and fast that it knocks the wind out of the economy uh, from his lips to God's ears. GM reclaims its title as America's top automaker after a 2.5% jump in sales last year. Uh, Economist says that his indicator that predicted eight U.S. recessions is wrong this year. So the guy who invented the yield curve uh, inversion signal, uh, Campbell Harvey, uh, and showed it in his dissertation at University of Chicago decades ago, um, says... that this time the U.S. economy will manage to avoid a real slump, even though it will keep slowing down for a bit longer. My yield curve indicator has gone code red, and it's 8 for 8 in forecasting recession since 1968 with no false alarms. Uh, I have reason to believe, however, that it is flashing a false signal. This is the guy who invented it. Everyone's relying on it, and the guy who inventing saying, no, not this time. Uh, we'll see. You know, I mean, that's what makes a market. Time will tell. Uh, Ford more than doubles its electric vehicle sales as it chases Tesla. Ford F-150 is huge for Cooper Standard. EVs are higher margin. They actually do more parts for EVs than uh, and a higher margin than they do for um, uh, ICEs, which was part of my initial thesis. I didn't it part of my initial thesis like that was a free option. My base case was predicated on ICE rates like 2017, but now like this is just whipped cream and it's actually happening and. Uh, the F-150 is a big deal for them. Uh, F-150 was number one uh, electric truck in December. Ah, this is interesting in the New York Times. Quote, a global semiconductor shortage is easing, which could allow car makers to lift production this year, uh, but higher interest rates could keep sales low. I think, you know, when you look at excess savings of $2 trillion, which we'll cover in the article, I think most people that are buying cars are buying um, with cash. And uh, especially these higher end, which the uh, dealers are putting on the lots because they make higher margin. I think these are all cash sales, number one. And number two, one thing that I'm seeing, which I said was going to be coming, and maybe you've been paying attention if you're watching any football games, uh, is all these dealers are now coming out with incentives for new cars. And that's why used cars are toast and new cars are going to do well because in a 7% interest rate environment, uh, you know, when they come on and say 0% APR for 24 months, Get your new car. Oh, and by the way, they'll start doing incentives, 5000 off, like you saw with Tesla, 7500 off before the year end. Um, people are going to flock, and they're going to buy these things. And uh, and with the average car on the road, 13.1 years, uh, you know the story. Whether they want to replace them or not, they're going to have to. Uh, quote, it's not all doom and gloom, Mr. Hollis said. This is from the Wall Street Journal. There are early signs that the shortages 
and rising raw material prices are easing. Many car makers reported an improvement in their sales near the end of the year while everyone had their head between their legs, kissing their, you know what, goodbye. Uh, people were out going, going buying cars and, um, improvement in their sales near the end of the year as computer chip supplies began to improve, Mr. Hollis said. Uh, Toyota, Toyota expected the industry to sell 15 million, uh, vehicles this year. You know, they're all going for 15 from 13.1. I mean, that would be unbelievable. I mean, Cooper could earn on 15. I mean, who knows? They could, they could earn $253 a share. Put it, put a trough multiple, uh, and by the way, pay zero tax, cash taxes because they have 130 million of, um, uh, tax asset. <clears throat> so, you know, you put a, a trough multiple, you look $30. I mean, you know, you put a peak multiple, it's a lot more. So anyway, I'm excited. What, what can I say? China factories, which means we're going to get a short term consolidation, get all these people that were, you know, uh, bought on the first pop to nine. And then got shaken out at six. And now they're going to rebuy at ten. They'll probably draw it back to eight, and then we'll just crank crank it up into the twenties, and they'll be left without the stock. But that's the way the market works. There are no free rides unless you do your work and you don't and you tune out the noise. Chinese factories, restaurants adjust to life with COVID without COVID zero. Um, so people are back in action. I sent out some pictures on Twitter with all their streets packed in Beijing and Shanghai for New Year's Eve. So exciting to see. Uh, China's COVID easing and policy pivots brighten outlook for stocks, you think. China's economic activity rebounds in cities where COVID peaked. Subway passengers, traffic congestion rise in Beijing. Mo uh, mobility continues to slump in places like Shanghai and Szechuan, but this is from a week ago. So by next week, this will be a, a whole new story. And if you look at the activity index that I tweeted out from Brendan Ahern, all the cities are coming back now. So uh, Chinese stocks in Hong Kong post the best start to the year since 2018. Pretty exciting. China stock investors, I better 2023 after 3.9 trillion route. Uh, so let's see. Time has come. All these people getting excited now. Opinion follows trend, ladies and gentlemen. All right, next. Alibaba's Ding Talk records 600 million users works to accelerate monetization. Launched in 2014, it's a Slack-like workspace platform. Pretty exciting to see that. It's not even in our thesis. Um, some of China, some in China return to regular activity after COVID infections. Next, uh, China Big Tech 2023. China's low-profile tech bosses may become more visible and vocal in coming year. They're allowing them back out of the basement. The billionaires can come out of the basement and talk and eat and breathe and walk and do all that stuff. Uh, the retreat of China's tech tycoons from the public stage coincided with Beijing's efforts to clip the wings of their business empires. Uh, while China's tech bosses are not yet seeking the limelight, some have started to remind employees that they are still in charge. If you remember, uh, Pony Ma was like, you guys are too busy playing ball on the weekends. Get your, you know, what's back in the office. It's time to get back to business or get the hell out. And, uh, so these guys are no joke. China's central bank pledges support for domestic demand iPhone City is back at 90% capacity after COVID turmoil subsides. Blackstones, I have no idea why that's here. Okay. Uh, China's, well, that's interesting. Blackstone had this problem with a privately traded REIT. Uh, I think the University of California came in with $4 billion. And we said last week when we were going over the, all the asset classes, one of the most hated 
besides emerging markets, which we're heavily weighted in, we're going to start to look at REITs because no one wants them. Everyone's pessimistic on it. Got to be selective. But sure enough, you get you see while everyone's puking out the REITs, uh, University of California coming in with $4 billion to buy them at a discount. Uh, and I think that's going to be a trade as uh, the Fed gets done, bonds get bid, REITs trade with bonds, off to the races. No one believes that right now. You're all like, what? What is he talking about? You'll see by the end of the year. Uh, sooner or later, that trade will play out. Uh, China's, it's not as exciting as China, but it, it is what it is. China's foreign minister says, quote, deeply impressed with Americans. Wow, how quickly he went from deeply depressed to deeply impressed. Uh, it's amazing what happens when, uh, you know, you get desperate and, uh, now they need us. Uh, and, and it's, it's bilateral. I mean, you know, as much as Congress wants to grandstand, it's a, I think the the end of globalization is overstated, uh, and I think we're going to see more of that this year. We're going to realize that people need each other more than they think, uh, and when we work together, productivity increases, uh, et cetera. There will be some onshoring, and that will be good for the domestic economy, but, uh, you know, <laughs> good luck. If you can't find, you know, computer engineers for less than a half a million dollars, good luck finding people that want to assemble iPhones for $40 an hour when you got to charge three, three, thirty-five hundred bucks for an iPhone 15 or whatever hell number we're on now. Um, Alibaba's grocery brand Hema Jingseng breaks even as China's COVID lockdowns boost need for online. So this is really important. Um, sales of fresh fruit. Okay, so th- for the first time since they launched, it's known in Chinese as Hema. They were profitable after seven years. Uh, said Freshipo's CEO, Hu Yi. Freshipo will continue buying products from around the world. He did a tour in Europe last month to search for, you know, boutique products. But it's basically the Costco of China and it's now at break even. And if you know the Costco model, you know, they ran profits really low to, to, to pass on those prices. And then you get the flywheel of economies of scale. It's the same thing, same model Costco used, same model Amazon used. And then because margins are so low, then you charge a membership fee and that's just straight profit to the bottom line. Um, these guys are doing it. And this is something embedded again, not part of our thesis. This is a free option. You may have the next Chinese Costco. Uh, they have 350 stores across mainland China. I think Costco has about 800 and change the last I checked uh, um, globally. So um, don't underestimate Alibaba, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, they've got so much going on. And uh, people are just not focused on it until they are when the stock's back over 300 and then everyone starts to get interested and say, wow, you get Costco, you get uh, Ant Financial, which is like, you know, the largest payment service. You own a third of that. You get the largest cloud business that's growing share at, at the beginning of the hockey stick of adoption, which is AWS. Oh, and by the way, you get an e-commerce business that's just going to absolutely rock and roll. You're seeing consumer discretionary earnings as the spending comes back. So, uh Okay, PBOC plans targeted stimulus as China focuses on price risk. Jack Ma's aunt promotes, oh, Alibaba veteran to key post and speeds up restructuring after getting the nod for $1.5 billion of U.S. fundraising. This is huge, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of the reasons the stock is up so much. Everyone left Ant for dead. I said, Ant is not in the stock price. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Ant is you know, it was going to IPO two years ago for $300 billion. It's picked up, it's probably picked up some share. 
during all these crackdowns because the biggest always do better. When the government cracks down on the biggest, the biggest wind up doing better when the crackdown's over because all the new regulations knocked out the small people who couldn't afford to comply. So it hurts the big guys' earnings in the short term, which it did last year, but in the long term, it gives them more share. This will eventually be worth well more than the $300 billion they were planning to IPO it for, and you own a third of it, and now it's happening as the government gives the nod for them to go raise money, which means basically game on, you guys can go public. This could be one of the largest IPOs in the world this year, uh, probably the back half of the year, and you own a third of it as an Alibaba shareholder. Uh, China extends easing of mortgage rates on first-time home purchases. Guess what? The game is back on. Uh, Alibaba stock is soaring. What's driving its big move? This is from uh, Jack Denton over at Barron's. Does great work. And he's talking about... uh, China's banking insurance approved Ant Financial's request to double its registered capital by ten point uh, by one point five billion dollars. Uh, Alibaba owns one third, and also you know, um, which was founded in Jack Ma. So this is this benefits Ma. It's basically an informal way of saying our crackdown on Jack Ma is done. Our crackdown on tech is done. And uh, we need Ant as much as um, they need us. And if we want to promote the Chinese digital yuan, we're going to be able to do so massively with Ant Financial, which is helping us. So let's get them capitalized and let's get them public. And that's what's happening. And that's why we saw everything that's happening we said was going to happen. They put the guy, the the lady who ran the Hong Kong exchange uh, on the board of Ant Financial two months ago. And still people were selling it like Ant was never going to be worth anything. And... Sure enough, that you just have to watch for clues and do your work. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Ant Group moves key step forward in restructuring as consumer wins approval for expanded capital base, double the capital base. This is interesting. CEO of Alibaba's grocery chain shares the views on the trip. We we went into that, but uh, for Shippo, which is this um, uh, uh, Costco business in China. Was founded in 2015, opened his first store in 2016. Uh, and by the way, a report covering the second quarter of fiscal year 2023, sales of Freshippo increased, this is rearview mirror now, by over 25% year on year. In the middle of, like, if they, how can they perform when the country is shut down? And the government is beating them in the head with a stick, and they still grow sales by 25% year on year. Two supply chain centers built by the firm at a cost of $2 billion. 2 billion yuan were fully put into operation in August, which can greatly improve the efficiency of commodity circulation. Uh, okay. From, specifically from 2023, Freshippo will aim to serve 1 billion consumers with 1 trillion Yuan in sales and make a 10-year investment to compete with global retail giants such as Walmart, Costco, and Carrefour. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is not in the price of the stock. How much would the China, would the Costco of China be worth when you look 10 years out if you could buy it today? So, you know, anyway. Uh, why Xi Jinping reversed his zero COVID policy in China? A wave of protests coupled with urgent pleas from many corners of government finally prodded the leader to scrap the strict lockdown system he had touted throughout the pandemic. Same thing's going to happen with Xi, Jin, uh, Xi, Xi Jin Powell uh, on his uh, 5.4% fantasy or uh, whoever that was, Kashkari. Um, and and what, what's going to happen, you're going to see no one. Here's the problem. 
problem is people don't make layoffs before the holidays. That's a, that's a nice humanitarian thing to do. So we saw strong job numbers this yet this morning because no one lays off before Christmas. In January is when everyone lays off. It started with Salesforce, followed by Amazon. You're going to see a slew of those in the next four weeks between now and the Fed, net Fed meeting. Watch the political pressure on the Fed. Even if they go 25 basis points, the last 25 basis points, uh, the pressure is going to be unbearable. You are going to see these politicians coming out and grandstanding against the Fed. You're going to see Elizabeth Warren. You're going to see Nancy Pelosi. You are going to see them beat the hell out of them. If you think Trump was bad on Powell, wait till you see these guys when they're, when their districts are getting slaughtered by the tech companies and they're getting hundreds of phone calls a day. Uh, not from, you know, people asking how to find, um, you know, uh, government aid from people that are their friends that work at these tech companies that are, you know, panicking that they can't find a job and pay the mortgage on their $4 million McMansion. And, uh, and that's going to get action. And you're going to see that play out. Just like we said, all this was going to eventually play out. That's the next step, whether it happens before February 2nd, uh, or the, the, the meeting thereafter, that's going to be the new narrative. So what gets the Fed to blink? They actually think they're going to be able to, to go as high as they want with no consequence. I'm telling you that the pressures from the outside are going to be severe and they're going to come on quick and they're going to come out of nowhere and no one's expecting it. Uh, here's from Brendan Ahern over at um, uh, China last night. Uh, Foreign investors bought a healthy $1.8 billion in mainland stocks via Northbound Stock Connect. This action indicates professional investors scrambling to raise and initiate their China positions after being underweight. Real estate was once again in focus as Seabrick uh, and PBOC adjusted housing loan qualification to make it easier for buyers to survive, uh, make buyers easier for buyers in another supportive measure. Uh, Caxton Services PMI was released overnight at 48 versus expectations of 46.8 and November's 46.7. I mean, the way this is turning so quickly is mind boggling. Like they literally just opened the door two weeks ago. Everyone got COVID overnight. They're all better. And now they're, they're like, we're free. We're free. Uh, and they got all this savings and they're, they're going bananas. It, it's going to be a big deal. So, um, da, 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 da. I think that was all I wanted to cover from that one. Gia has realized that he needs Chinese tech giants. You can watch that one on Bloomberg. Okay, article of the week. Funny how? <laughs> how am I funny? Uh, this is Joe Pesci from Goodfellas. There are a lot of young people on this podcast that uh, may have never seen Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, and I feel very sorry for you. So pull it up on Netflix. It's one of the best movies of all time. Uh, and definitely check out that scene for sure. So... Santa managed to kick the Grinch out of the sleigh and deliver positive returns for the Santa Claus rally period, which was the last five trading days of 2022 and the first two trading days of 2023, which ended yesterday. Um, as you can see above, the S&P needed to close above 38.22. It closed at 38.52. So the period uh, closed with a gain of uh, 8 plus 8 tenths of 1%. What are the implications? So here's the chart from CFRA Research, Sam Stovall. Since World War II, the average returns for the following 12 months are 9.8%. When that happens, that exceeds the average returns of 8.9%. This is all post-World War II data. If we can add to that the momentum of the first five days, we'll see. I mean, with the jobs report tomorrow, that's going to be tough. But um, average returns, so let's say we finish positive uh, at the end of Monday, year to date, uh, that average is going to bump to 
17% average returns. I'm sorry, uh, 12.9% average returns. Then if we get a positive January, all three things hit. Santa Claus rally hit, check. First five days, we'll see. And a positive January, then the average returns bump up to 17% when all three hit. And finally, if you tack on a positive February on top of that, then the average returns bump up to 20.2%. The key here is not to be fooled by randomness. Just because it happened in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen now, but rather use history as a barometer to determine if something has changed after a down year or if it's more of the same. One point I've spent a lot of media time on recently is the presidential cycle. While pessimism prevailed in the back half of December, I pointed out to the historical precedent that speaks to strength, not weakness in the first two quarters after a midterm year, third year of the four-year presidential cycle, which is 2023. All of these are averages and there's always exceptions, but if you ask me if I want to play golf in Algarve in May or in January, I'm taking May seasonality every single time. What do you do? Uh, so based on the sentiment and the positioning coming into the new year, it appears there are quite a few money managers who book golf excursions to Scotland in the middle of January, meaning uh, they're, they're going against seasonal odds is really what it comes down to. Um, so here we have... Uh, midterm year returns, uh, when you had a crappy midterm year, which is most of the time, just like we had last year, and what happened next year. It's interesting, um, 2002 is the closest, was down negative 23%, uh, and I think we finished negative 20 or negative 19.5% the S&P last year, and the next year was up 26%. The one, The model I've been looking at if they can pull it off and they don't screw it up, is 1994 was a negative year and then the next year was up 34%. And what they did was they actually, um, they they hiked quickly in 94 and then they actually did cut one or two small cuts in 95. Market rallied and kept rallying and they kept rates elevated all the way to 99. And I think uh, you could see a similar situation where they, you know, maybe they do one cut the back half of next year uh, and then they keep things elevated and they uh, uh, have their cake and eat it too. Keep inflation under control. And by, by under control, I mean forward expectations pegged at 2%. Reality, 3 to 5%. Because they've got to bring down debt to GDP, just like they did from 1948 to 1953, by running inflation above trend, and uh, uh, which they did. They brought in um, debt to GDP from 120 down to 63 in five years following the World War II. Uh, and they'll do a similar thing if they if they play it right this time. So that's that. This is the presidential seat. You are here. You know, like you're in the mall and they have that big board. It says you are here. You are here. So we had this crap negative year, and now we're going into the strong period right now. And uh, this is the strongest period of the four years, the next two quarters. And what's everyone calling for? These winter golfers are the same cadre of people who had consensus at 52.50 on the S&P target for coming into 2022, we got 3,800 close instead. And now um, are all convinced we're going to hell in a handbasket at 3,200 on the S&P 20, uh, in 2023. So the same group that was so convinced we were going to 5,200 last year when we were at all-time highs now is convinced that we're going to 3,200 now that we're at, uh, at these lows. And if you have that view, your, your consensus and everyone who has that view thinks they see something that no one else sees. Everyone has that same view, just like everyone had that exact same view that the dollar was going to keep going up. And then as soon as everyone was in the boat, they pulled the rug out from underneath and it collapsed in two months and emerging markets were off the race. Now, so 
Most professional golfers can't hit a triple bait putt, but these analysts are so convinced that they've got this perfect and they're going to get this triple bait putt, but they already missed the first break of the putt because the first break of the putt was we were supposed to rally in December and then crash into March and then uh, recover in the, the second half of the year. So far, it's been the exact opposite. And I would say that would be as the market is designed to cause the most pain to the most amount of people at any one at one point in time, just do the opposite. You got um, December was down, first half would be up, and then the second half when everyone chases at new highs is when you're going to get no performance for probably six to eight months. Uh, and you'll get that initial, you know, you, it'll go straight up and then it'll just grind sideways. The minute everyone jumps in, uh, it'll pull back five to eight percent. Uh, knock them all out and then just grind sideways, make no one believe it. Everyone's saying we're going back down and that's when we'll finally catapult in 2024 and beyond. Um, so that's that. Here it is. For the first time in decades, Wall Street strategists see a down year for stocks. And there you go. Everyone saw an up year. Now everyone sees a down year. Uh, anything is possible, but as we frequently say on our weekly podcast video cast, amateurs deal in absolutes, professionals deal in probabilities. I'm only talking probabilities here. Anything can happen. Just as the herd called China uninvestable in 2022, they are now trampling all over themselves to get a piece of the action with names like Alibaba, our largest holding now up 80% off the October lows. So here's is October 24th. Uh, Beijing's power reshuffle makes the market quote unquote uninvestable. Uh, here's a clip from the interview I did near the lows in October on CNBC Asia. Will is one of the best anchors in the business, and you can see he's visibly chuckling out loud at the idea of buying Alibaba with all the pessimism that was present at the time. Uh, incidentally, I also covered Boeing in this uh, interview. Uh, Boeing's up like 50% since this interview, um, which he was more on board with, but um, uh, Alibaba's up a lot more. So uh, click and listen to this at you know minute 5.58, and not to see me speak, but to understand what sentiment looks like at lows, literally people are laughing at the idea of buying this stock. And Will's one of the best in the business, by the way. I love him and I love going on his show. Uh, but that was that was consensus, man. Like you couldn't give this stuff away. Like if you were buying China in October, people were just like, you're nuts. You're, you're absolutely nuts. And and that's why these guys live out in Nebraska and in Austin and and in Switzerland and they work by themselves because they don't want the noise of people pushing them with consensus because that's how you the guaranteed path to underperformance. Uh, my friend Philip, who's a great investor himself, who lives in Dubai, by the way, again, away from the noise, sent me an article uh, over the weekend that included a list of traits among the best investors of all time. And uh, it's funny, a good friend of mine who's very successful, he goes, why did you join a club in, uh, in Ridgefield instead of like, why didn't you just go down to Greenwich or whatever? And I was like, because I want to be away from the noise. No one in Ridgefield is in the hedge fund business. Uh, they're all in real businesses and I get to see what's happening in the real economy, which actually helps my process versus uh, a bunch of hedge, hedge fund guys all saying the same thing, that they're at record cash and the world is going to 3,200 and we're going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, and, uh, and you know, take the other side. Maybe, maybe it would be worthwhile just to just to be clear on what consensus is and take the other side. But uh, anyway, I, I like I like it away from the noise. Uh, and then I, you know, go into the city enough that uh, I, I can be around the, the action when I have to. But anyway, Philip, who's that unbelievable investor himself, uh, sent me an article uh, over the weekend that included a list of traits among the best investors of all time. These traits included, number one, the ability to buy stocks while others are panicking and sell stocks while others are euphoric. Check. 
A great investor is obsessive about playing the game and wanting to win. These people don't just enjoy investing. They live it 24-7. Check. The willingness to learn from past mistakes. This is key. Uh, and that's, by the way, why you can have so much confidence in your research. Because you, you go through these processes and you learn from your mistakes. And you've been in the white-knuckle situations where when you were a rookie, maybe you got puked out at the bottom with everyone else with consensus when people were laughing at your idea. And now you've been through it and you say, no, I know what I'm doing. I know what this business is worth. I know that it'll come back and everyone will see what I'm seeing. And you just hold on. Uh, an inherent, inherent sense of risk based on common sense. Confidence in their own convictions, even when facing criticism or ridicule. Uh, most important and the rarest trait of all, the ability to live through volatility without changing your investment thought process. Check. So never forget, opinion follows trend. If the market goes up from here, the 3200 camp will miraculously become the 5200 camp all over again, but only after the majority of the move has already been made. Time will tell. Fundstrap put out a table that shows equity returns tend to be well above average in years following a negative year for high-yield bonds, like we had in 2022. Here's the data. And you can see the average after a negative high-yield year uh, for equity markets is plus 22%, and, uh, and we just had a negative year last year. This level of return is consistent with the returns outlined by Carson. Ryan Dietrich over there does great work, showing average returns following a December that is down greater than 4%. The average is up 20%, only four instances, so that's not really material, but it's worth noting. Just as our leaning into emerging markets, China trade was predicated on the dollar weakening when everyone was long in the most crowded trade in 2020, mid-2022, our general optimism as it relates to the markets in the face of mass pessimism is partly predicated on, one, the imp impact of the second largest economy in the world reopening overnight, which is China, and hitting their new 5% GDP targets in 2023. A rising tide will lift all boats. By the way, they never miss targets when they're open. <laughs> so uh, when they say they're going to do it, they'll do it by hook or by crook and put all the stimulus. Look, they're, they're helping people get right back into what caused the problem, which is real estate. Tells you everything you need to know. They're desperate and they're going to do whatever it takes. Two, the impact of the dollar decline at current levels should have a positive 5 to 8% impact on 2023 S&P earnings, which is not yet reflected in estimates. Look at this thing, completely rolled over. This was everyone was bearish on China right here and the dollar just collapsed. Uh, barring a fatal error by, barring a fatal error by the Fed hiking excessively versus pausing at high levels, the consumer will be able to hold on through a modest slowdown. Look, they've still got 1.7 trillion dollars of excess savings, even after all the spending down versus before pre-pandemic. That buys a lot of F-150s. That sells a lot of door sealing and fluid transfer systems for Cooper Standard. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's the name of the game. They're just not going to finance it at 7%. Either the dealers are going to give them incentives or they're going to buy, buy them for cash. Uh, and by the way, the biggest demand is coming from where? Infrastructure. That money hasn't even hit the market. It's already approved. It's going to be going out over the next couple of years. You're going to see so many F-150 trucks. It's going to blow boggle the mind. The key is, will they get enough chips in, which I think they are now? Uh, these chip companies have nothing else to do to uh to supply all the demand that's going to come from commercial more than everyone's looking at you know joe smith who lost his job at salesforce that's not the market so um just you know focus on the data is is uh is the key uh will the fed break everything possibly they they may try to but i don't think they're going to get away with it and i think the politicians are going to freak out in the next few weeks when we see massive massive layoff announcements um so we have to keep in mind that the voting composition of the FOMC becomes more dovish effective this month. 
So it's changing. All the hawks are going off. With the Federal Open Market Committee's annual rotation of voters on monetary policy, James Bullard of the St. Louis Fed, Loretta Mester of the Cleveland Fed, and Esther George of the Kansas City Fed, all whom have favored, favored sharply higher interest rates to help curb inflation, will lose their votes. Uh, Boston's Susan Collins, a newcomer who's considered to be neutral, will also lose her voting seat. Um, coming on the FOMC will be Chicago Fed's new president, Austin Goolsby, as dovish as it gets. Uh, Pat, Philadelphia's Patrick Harker. By the way, he's a political operative. He wants to get all the Democrats reelected in two years. He's going to juice the hell out of things. Um, there's no question about that. Phillips, Patrick Harker and Dallas's Lori Logan, both seen as centrist and, uh, Minneapolis Neil Kashkari, who's completely gone off the reservation, by the way. He gets a vote now. He's, he's currently an arch hawk, but you know, <laughs> the problem with him is he was a, he was the most dovish guy when they were saying transitory, and now he's the most hawkish guy when inflation's rolling over. So he kind of has a credibility problem that I don't think, as much as the squeaky wheel gets the grease, I don't think people take him seriously right now based on that his, his track record with that. So despite the fact he's getting the vote and he'll probably make the wrong decision, uh, I wouldn't lose sleep over the fact that that hawk is getting a vote. And, um, yeah, opinion follows trend. As, as, as the tide changes, he'll shift his tune once again and he'll overshoot back on the other side. Uh, the upshot is that policy droves, excuse me, the upshot is that policy doves, who are especially attuned to the health of the labor market, are likely to have a greater weight around the table during the eight policy meetings in 2023. By the way, I saw the funniest tweet, uh, I think it's from a guy named Sven, S-V-E-N, and he said, we're never going to break out of this trading range unless you give the Fed members permissions to trade their own account again. <laughs> so if you remember the trading scandal, they were all buying in the hole in March 2020 because they knew the, the credit backstop was coming and they made fortunes. Um, you know, and since they, their trading permissions have been relinquished was the exact peak of the market since they can no longer invest their, uh, make their own trades. Uh, they've just, you know, choked off the stock market. They should just reinstitute their ability to insider trade on, on their policy decisions and you'll see new highs in the S&P, uh, before you, before you know it. But, uh, I'm saying that half in jest, but it's, you know, some things if you don't laugh about, you'll cry about, and that's one of them. So, uh, we also have to consider that this is the same body of experts, the FOMC, who forecasted a Fed funds rate no higher than 1% going into 2022. At this time last year, the stock market was at all-time highs, and this group, quote, predicted that inflation would fall to 2% by the end of 2022 with a 1% Fed funds rate. They also said GDP for 2022 would be 4%. That's not, not happening. Now, now they're calling for a 5.1% Fed funds rate and extra special members like Neil Kashkari are calling for 5.4 or more, uh, and no cuts in 2023. And miraculously, everyone believes they'll be right. Literally, it was 12 months ago. They couldn't have been wrong, more wrong. And 12 months later, now everyone thinks that magically they're the all-knowing, all-seers that they're going to get this right. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of funny in a way. Um, so, and why do I say everyone believes they'll be right? Because they're banking on it like gospel with their defensive positioning and their consensus 3,200 targets. Now, here's the take from Fed whisperer Nick Timoreos over at the Wall Street Journal following, following the Fed minutes release yesterday. Um, a couple key lines here. He said, uh, the key issue for investors is whether the Fed will really stick with the plan if inflation is moderating. No officials projected rate cuts next year, the minutes said. 
the bond market has been calling BS on this fantasy since November. You see the 10-year rollover from 423 to 370. Uh, some would say this projection, raising and holding rates well above 5% with no cuts in 2023, is, quote, funny given their recent accuracy or lack thereof with predictions. As Joe Pesci queried in Martin Scorsese's classic film Goodfellas, funny how? <laughs> uh Please click play on that. You will enjoy that one-minute clip. Uh, just as 1982, quote, keep at it, Volker, what ha- was a hawk until he switched overnight to 1982, quote, may shift tactics, Vol- Volker, Powell will be no different. There will be no invitation in the mail giving you a heads up and inviting you to buy equities a few weeks ahead of time. When it happens, it happens all at once. In this instance, 1982, the flip happened while inflation was still hovering near 7% percent and headed down sound familiar and sure enough all of the losses in the s&p were regained in four months and the market went on to make even new highs uh, a couple years out so fun strat um no this is wall street journal over the three months ended in november core prices increased at 3.6 percent annualized rate the lowest such reading since february 2021 and fed chair uh jerome powell said in a news conference last month um the best way to manage the risk of over-tightening would be to, quote, slow rate increases to a more traditional 25 basis points increments as soon as the central bank's next meeting, which is February. It uh, makes a lot of sense, it seems to me, particularly if you consider how far we've come. We've done a lot, is what he's saying. Salesforce cut 10% of the workforce yesterday. Amazon cut 18,000 overnight. Now, now that it's January, no one cuts before the holidays except Meta, who did 13,000. Uh, expect a slew of these type of announcements in coming weeks ahead of the February Fed meeting. If you're wondering what will cause the Fed to blink or pause and feel the wrath of influential, angry politicians, now you know it's coming. Uh, last shall be first, as we've covered in our past bi- video podcast, the place to begin looking for what will outperform is what underperformed last year. Uh, and NASDAQ's right at the bottom of that list. Uh, we covered actually specific. It's nuanced. Go back to last week's podcast and the week before, and we go into detail uh, the things that we're doing. If you look at the color mosaic below, it's plain to see that those asset classes that finish at the bottom one year don't tend to stay there for long. REITs are at the bottom this year. You can see emerging markets uh, near the bottom two years in a row. Whenever that happens, it's at the top the next year. Uh, now onto the shorter term market. Sentiment couldn't be more bearish back at 20% bullish. Uh, look, you tell me, do you want to buy down at these levels or do you want to sell? Nothing's perfect, but these are barometers uh, not uh, the word of God, but you know you got to play the odds and you got to play the probabilities. As we make it, as we wade into 2023, bear in mind that as the calendar has changed, so have conditions. Be open to all possibilities as the weeks unfold. In 2022, energy prices was a global global shock. Now it's moderating. Valuations were high. Now they're low. Inflation was rapidly rising. Now it's rapidly declining. Fed policy beginning of tightening. Now it's nearing the ending of historic tightening. U.S. dollar was historic strengthening. Now it's moderating. Bonds. Worst returns in a century, now a clean clean slate and attractive entry point. The worry last year was inflation. The worry this year is growth. And that's from Mitsubishi Financial. Uh, thanks to my buddy over there who I play golf with who uh, gets me sends me those. Uh, utility earnings, uh, top 30 weights. Estimates have actually gone up in the last 60 days by 19 basis points. Cumulative earnings power of the top 30. REITs, which we've talked a lot about. Earnings power in the last 60 days for 2023 has gone up by five basis points in the last 60 days while everyone's uh, huddled under the table. Uh, energy 
which everyone can't get enough of. They're also up 23 basis points. I think a lot of that's priced in. We'll see. Uh, defense and aerospace in slash industrials down. Everyone's crowding into industrials in the, these groups and, and their earnings power has been revised down by six and a half percent, uh, in the last, uh, 60 days. And these are the numbers today that kind of got everyone's, uh, panties in a bunch, uh, and had the market, uh, modestly sell down after a few days of up. Uh, it was right here, the ADP, 230 small jobs, um, versus 150 expected and the continuing claims tick down. But again, this is Christmas time. People don't get fired. Uh, initial jobless claims were still 204,000, but it was lower than expected at 225. So we'll see tomorrow. I mean, maybe you get more selling tomorrow if the job, if the number is really strong, but now expectations are, are, uh, very tempered. So if it came in line, that would be bullish. Uh, but we'll see. I don't expect miracles on the December numbers. Um, so we'll, we'll just see what happens, but moving forward, just watch the headlines and watch the politicians and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Um, again, just to focus, everyone is pitching on TV, the same three things, healthcare materials and energy. And, uh, um, this is what they all want you to be in. And this is what no one wants to touch consumer discretionary, uh, uh, communication services, uh, are going to have among the highest earnings growth and even financials. Uh, and you can't give them away. And that's where we would be focused. Um, okay. Couple questions of the week. Ask me anything questions. Okay. Um, JT investor, by the way, thanks for sending over that China data. Congratulations on a great start to 2023. Hope this is just the beginning of positive performance in your core positions. Uh, it would be great to get your updated thoughts on Intel and PayPal. Uh, I didn't know I even had any thoughts on PayPal, but I'll take a look at it. Um, thanks for your perspective and have a great weekend. Okay, we got that one. So Intel, PayPal. Uh, JT Investor also wanted to hear about Bank of America. We covered that last week. He sent this one in late. Uh, I'm okay with some of the banks here. I just think there are better uses of money. So um, I think if you buy Bank of America and you buy Wells Fargo, I think Wells is in the low 40s. Uh, you know, two years from now, it'll be in the 60s or, you know, maybe even the 70s in the case of Wells Fargo. Uh, but there are better uses of capital. I mean, that was attractive when it was in the 20s and we sold it in the high 50s and it, and it happened very, very quickly. But um, yeah, I'm generally okay with that. Um, okay. Here's another one. So I'm going to cover, um, Intel, PayPal. Um, this is from Andrea Chocobar. Uh, by the way, if you want to do ask me anything questions, don't email or put them on YouTube or on Twitter. I can't keep track of 80 different places. Uh, go to hedgefundtips.com, click on contact and just enter your question there as an AMA. And then what I do is Literally minutes before I start recording, I go and I print them all out and then I just do them in real time. So just put in your name, your email, and then, you know, put AMA question for this week. And then I just literally, I go to that one email account, I print them all out and I come here. If you do Twitter or DM me or LinkedIn or any of that stuff, I, I don't see half of them. So, um, okay. Bob Johnson asks, so, uh, Andrea asks, how do you feel about Intel? Okay, so we'll cover that. And then Bob Johnson said, can you comment on Stan Druckenmiller's remarks over the latter half of 2022 
2023 being a probable hard landing recession with potentially the index not really moving up or down from current levels and to be on the lookout for new black swans. He did say his pessimism carries a bias given where he is in his career. By the way, I covered this in detail last week, uh, both about Druckenmiller and about... Um, Uh, oh, one of my heroes, David Tepper. Uh, so I went into that in detail and what I was thinking about that. I thought this was pretty useful. Number one, huge amount of respect. You got to take what they say deadly seriously because they're among the best in the business. Um, but I liked Seth Golden's reply on Druckenmiller because he says, quote, once inflation gets above 5%, it's never come down unless Fed funds have gotten above the CPI. This is the base case for his bearish thesis this year. The problem with that is the data doesn't bear it out. And what Seth says is, look at the chart, folks. What's the sample size? Prior to 2022, episodes of 5% CPI, the sample size is just two. Are you willing to make a bearish bet on just two occurrences? Uh, and, and I think that is very, very key to um, kind of not getting faked out by data. You, you, you know, sometimes you only have a limited data set and that's all you can do is try to extrapolate. But I, I was taught like less than three, don't even look at it. And, you know, the more the more instances, the more weight you can put on it uh, when playing the probability. So uh, but for a comprehensive answer to your question, just review last week's uh, talk about um, Tepper's comments and um, and Druckenmiller. All right. So we're doing Intel and PayPal. Let's do this. Um, by the way, two other stocks, which I'm not going to do. We don't have time. Uh, that I think are interesting is 3M. They've got these legal battles that are overhanging, but if you look at the business, it's a machine and you can buy it at good prices with a couple year outlook. And same with Comcast. Uh, you can't give both of these away, but if you're looking for kind of large caps that are a little hairy, but will work, work themselves out, uh, those are ones that we'd, we'd consider. Uh, you know, here's Intel's data. I mean, they're going through a restructuring. They're building all these factories. But it's still Intel. So, yeah, there might be the short-term glut, like the other analyst said, about um, uh, inventories will peak in the first half. So maybe there's some more pain. You just average into these things. You know, you, you hold on to it three years out. It's a double. You get a nice, uh, you know, 30-something IRR, and you call it a day. And I think that's the story with Intel. It, it's not the highest and best use of capital. It'll probably do better if they kicked it out of the Dow. Usually companies start doing really well once they kick them out. So if they ever kick Intel out of the Dow, that's when I would start buying it hand over fist. But as a basic position, a filler, you know, I'd rather buy this than buy CVX at, you know, after it's gone up, uh, you know, 100 something percent. I, I, I'd rather buy something down here. Uh, Intel, just, you know, look at the numbers here. Um, I don't know if you can... So let's see. I mean, they just got hit recently with the um, all the restructuring costs, and then and then the oversupply and changing their business and making it more specialized, etc. But at the end of the day, this is still a cash generative machine. They'll get it fixed. You know, this is what everyone's worried about. They're burning cash. They're investing in the future. You got to take the long view. It's a commodity business that they're trying to turn into a non-commodity business and do more bespoke stuff. They have the capital. They have the staying power. They have the resources. But if you look throughout history, this is a consistent double-digit return on capital, return on equity, high-quality business. And I do think after this short-term investment downside, 
Um, similar to what you're seeing with Disney having to invest in streaming and that type of thing and killing profits in the short term. I do think, you know, it's amazing. Even through this restructuring, they're still able to do mid-digit, mid-teen return on equity is staggering. It just goes to show the the business and, you know, you're buying it at uh, 25. It's down, what, 60%, 65%, you know, trading at eight-year-old, eight-year-ago prices. So it's going to take some some time to heal this kind of damage and it'll, you know, bounce around for a while and not move for half a year. And then when it moves, it moves all at once and it'll work its way back up and you'll have yourself a double and maybe even a triple if you look three to five years out. Um, But it's kind of a steady eddy. Uh, They'll fix it. It'll be fine again and you'll be on to the next. So no changes there. I I mean, I, I would add at the margins if this is a position you like. Um, but they're better. They're higher and better uses of capital. We we are very very concentrated in our top three positions. That's where all the performance is coming from, and uh, and that's where we're going to stay focused and not not get uh, uh, distracted by the noise. Um, I'll quickly take a look at PayPal. The thing I don't love about payment processors is like what what's unique about them. I mean, you know, other than Visa and Mastercard, what's the moat? I mean, you know, I think Venmo is kind of interesting. You know, maybe they should, you know, this could work. I find that when companies like round trip like this, um, it could take some time to just, you know, rebuild institutional sponsorship. There's a lot of uh, volume by price here. So hopefully they'll defend it. If not, you know, maybe there's another leg lower. But let's take a look at what the business is doing. The real problem with them is the guy made some promises and he didn't deliver. Like, and and that was that's when institutions just puke the stock, and they'll either, you know, they'll have to start delivering more than they say they're going to do to to slowly rebuild that. Um, and Venmo might be the key to that because that's kind of the only thing unique. It's number one, it's a verb, and. Um, I don't know why this happens during every call. It does not give me a chance to. Pull it up in the way that I want to pull it up. Let's see. Oh, here it is. Perfect. All right. So let's see what's going on with PayPal. The stock is down. So, I mean, this thing has been slaughtered. So. Cash from operations still improving. Free cash flow still improving. Free cash flow per share still improving. Gross margins have come down quite a bit uh, in the last five years. Revenues continue to go up. By the way, inflation works for payment processors, FYI. Uh, return on capital is still single dig- high single digits. Same with return on equity is close to 20%. Um and earnings have flattened out. So you had a growth multiple. Let's see what 
thing is training at. Let's see what it looks like on this one. I mean, PayPal is definitely on my watch list. I, I just, I don't, I don't know what their edge is like that. Got to, you know, I mean, it's look the consistent return on capital, return on equity, cash flow is continues to grow from operations, free cash flow, free cash flow margins. I mean, there's a lot to like here. Um, Balance sheet looks great. Uh, balance, well, they took on a little more debt, but still fine. They've got a decent amount of cash. Income statement. So let's see. The gross margins are declining a little bit. So that might be some competitive threat you'd have to look into. Revenue is still growing. You know, something like this, the first thing I would do is read the most recent annual report. Then I'd read three more. Then I'd listen to four or five conference calls. Um, so it's got an $86 billion market cap. So it's trading at a little more than three times revenues. It's earning money. It's generating cash. It's just, you know, it's just that environment. I mean, basically, when the Fed does its last hike, this thing will probably rocket. I mean, even estimates are holding in there. The growth rate, you know, the growth rate, so it's trading at, uh, I don't know, what, 16 or 18 times with 11% five-year expected growth rate. Uh, I think you can make money on this. I think it's going to take a while. This is a huge amount of damage that was done. And it doesn't just go straight right back up. So, um, I think you kind of, you know, do your work. If you like it, you do, you do a starter position. And then as it's just grinding for some time, you just add into it. And when you see, see it finally start to take off, you can top up the position. Um, but you got to understand what that mode is and is it defensible? I mean, you got Stripe, you got like everyone under the sun, Cash App, uh, Apple's getting into the business. You really want to mess with them. Oh, that was the thing that got upgraded because the guy said that, um, the impact of Apple's Apple Pay was waning on PayPal. So it got upgraded. Um, I don't see how that's happening because every time I go to buy something on my phone, it always forces me into Apple Pay, which I'm fine with. It connects to my Amex, but uh, I don't see any reason why I would be buying anything with PayPal. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to not use Apple. Like, I just double click and it pays it. And I think more and more of that's going to happen. And that's why I'm saying, what do they bring to the table that's really unique? The only thing I think they have is Venmo, but, you know, the other one, Block, has Cash App. I've never used Cash App. I only use Venmo. Um, and you, know, you got Zelle from the bank. So, 
I, I don't see what differentiates it. So I don't know how that gross margin doesn't keep getting eroded. But if you can figure that out, why that mode is going to stay, maybe it was first mover, maybe it's the fact that it's a verb, uh, then you start to build in. I mean, I think a lot of the pain has been uh, taken out of this stock. Uh, but I think that's probably why we've never acted on it, despite the fact it looks quote unquote cheap. It's just not pound the table easy. And, you know, some things are easy and you can just stick with through the short term headwinds. This is this is not one of them, even though it looks cheap and it looks like an opportunity. Um, I think it's a good look, JT. I, I just can't say that I have confidence and I don't I can't say that I even have enough confidence to go do the real work uh, to take a closer look at it. that. That's the real issue is like. Um, does it look interesting enough from here to go do 50 hours a week to even consider putting a starter position on? And the answer is, mm, I'll probably do a few hours of work. And if I get more interested, first, I'll just read the annual report and see if there's anything to do at all. Uh, and then, and then go from there. So, but I like the pick. I like the idea. Um, I need more information. So that's that. Hope that's helpful. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Last week was a short one. This week was a long one. Next week, we'll cut it right down the middle. See you then. Same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.